Well, hello friends and fans, welcome to another exciting episode of Biblical Genetics. Today I am going to stick my foot in... Uh, what's, what metaphor am I looking for? I'm going to get myself into hot water. I'm going to get myself into trouble. I'm going to dig my own grave. I'm going to throw myself off my own cliff. I'm going to look before I leap. Pick a metaphor. We're talking here about RNA vaccines, coronavirus, new technology, government world conspiracies. No, just kidding. I'm going to avoid the conspiracy angle. This is actually nearly half an hour long, so I'm going to jump into it as quick as I can. But this is based on an article that I wrote for creation.com about RNA vaccines and coronavirus. I'm calling this episode RNA Vaccines Pros and Cons. This is very important. I'm worried, though, that some of what I say is going to be dated. I'm always worried about that a little bit, but this particular one, the science can change really quickly. So far, though, even though some new information has come out in the last couple of weeks after I wrote my article, I think I'm okay. A couple of things I would like to add to this, but I've already filmed this, so I'm not going to add too much more for this little introduction here. I'm just going to give it to you. This is fun and exciting, and I tell you what, whatever you think about the coronavirus, whether it's government uh, malfaisance or whether it's real science, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but not for this particular discussion. This is a discussion on the technology of a new vaccine. And honestly, just from a technological standpoint, it is fascinating and amazing. It tells us a lot about biology, tells a lot about genetics, tells us a lot about uh, virology, about history. There's some really fascinating, interesting things happening here. I actually recorded this episode in completion three different times. Once in my office, and it came out okay, but then I realized what content I had, and I said, no, I can't just put this out there. I need to write an article for creation.com. I mean, they do, you know, they're my employer. And here I am using the office for a biblical genetics episode. And I said, now this isn't right. I, I need to write an article. So I did that first. And then I went down to a, uh, a location that I found a couple of weeks ago. I filmed in a different direction. This time I found a log next to a lake. And I just sat there and I just talked. And it came out great. And I had no audio. I have no idea why I had no audio, but nothing worked right. It's like, oh, man. So I went back to that log again the next week and sat on that log for about an hour and just talked and edited it down to about a half an hour. This is just interesting information. It's fascinating. It's fun to talk about. I hope you're not offended by the fact that I'm talking about the science of coronavirus. I'm trying to be neutral. I'm trying to weigh the pros and cons. I'm trying to take the information I've been given and work through it. And honestly, people are confused and people are angry. So I'm not trying to be angry here. I'm just trying to provide information. Before we jump in, like I normally do, I just want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for being here with us on this journey. Thank you for being part of the community. Thank you for your support. Thank you for your encouragement. Now, I don't know many of you because the podcasting world is so anonymous. I have no idea who's listening. But if you'd like to, just send me a line. Say, hey, Dr. Rob, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I, I would like that a lot. But also, I'd like to know what you're thinking. Uh, how am I doing? Do I have any lapses in my information? Is there something that I'm not saying that you need to hear, something you want to hear? Just let me know. I would love that sort of feedback. You can reach me through Biblical Genetics. You can reach me on Facebook, Twitter, MeWe, or Parlor. Um, everywhere I can be. So I'm going to turn you over now. RNA vaccines, pros and cons. Welcome to Biblical Genetics. Today's topic, RNA vaccines and COVID-19. I wrote an article that appeared on creation.com just a couple of days ago, and since then I've been doing almost nothing but answering questions on this topic. This is a very important topic, 
It's a very scary thing for a lot of people, and we all have lots of questions. And the problem is we don't know the answers to these questions because almost none of us are an expert in the field that we're being asked to believe in. Should we believe the government? Should we believe the scientists? Those are really valid questions that need addressing. Now, I don't tend to lapse into political things on my show, and my employer, Creation Ministries International, we don't get into politics to the extent that we can avoid it. But there are times that we have to get outside of our just standard uh, creation evolution umbrella and talk about other things like abortion. We're 100% against abortion. If you know me, you know that I'm totally pro-life. Okay, put that aside. We also talk about vaccinations and we didn't have anything on vaccinations on our website or even in public would we present it because it was such a controversial issue until basically enough of us decided that no, this is a life and death issue. This is something that actually does help people and the numbers are conclusively on the side of saving lives. Therefore, it's a pro-life issue. Now, do people get hurt by vaccines? Yes, sometimes. Are they perfect? Oh no. Are we gonna learn more things about the human immune system in the future? No doubt, but it is clear that medical science has helped extend the lives of millions of people through a very simple technology called vaccinations. Now, put that aside, because already that's an angry subject for a lot of people. I wanna talk about the new stuff coming down the pike right now, because it's different. It's not like the old stuff. There's no live viruses being produced in the modern vaccine movement. There's no um, uh, need for mercury. There's no need for aluminum in these RNA vaccines. And this is really exciting. And the coolest thing is that in the production line for at least two of the three, or actually three of the four vaccines that are the furthest along than all the others, there's no need at all for the use of fetal cells. So that whole argument about are we being injected with baby parts is pushed to the side. It doesn't apply anymore. Now, if you're wondering what I'm talking about, you can go to creation.com, you can look up my article or just type in vaccines. And in there, you'll see a table of contents. You can click on the link and it'll bring you down to an explanation of how these fetal cells that were harvested from one was a boy aborted in 1985. Another one was a child aborted in 1972 or three, but we don't know if that was an abortion or a spontaneous miscarriage. And these cells have been used in biotechnology for a long time. Actually, they're very important uh, workhorse in a lot of biological experiments. I can't change history, but I can say that we are moving away from that and this is a good thing. In fact, the, man, the vaccine manufacturers are listening. They know that there's a public outcry about the use of cells that were derived from abortions even decades ago. Now, even if most ethicists and most religious organizations and most theologians will say that there's actually not a, the, a theological problem with this. There's not a moral problem with this. The reason they say that is because one, the child wasn't killed in order to produce cells. All right, I just made even more people angry with what I just said. Uh, but we don't need to deal with that because these things are not in at least three of the four major vaccines that are being possibly approved in the near future. So let me describe them. First, there's a company called Novovax. They are actually using a virus to inject RNA into moth cells. 
strange. I didn't know they could culture moth cells until I learned about this, but they raise up these things, they harvest the protein, that gets wrapped up in something they extract from a tree. I think it's probably a resin of some sort, and that's designed as an adjuvant. Now, an adjuvant is something that's contained in most vaccines, especially the older ones, and it's just a general immune system stimulant. It's something to tell your immune system, hey, there's a problem, we think we might have an infection, you better start producing antibodies and things like that. In the past, they might have used shark liver oil as an adjuvant. They may have used aluminum salts as an adjuvant. Um, there's all sorts of adjuvants that are used, and they're just something to irritate the immune system. A second vaccine is being made by AstraZeneca. They've had some issues because one of the persons in a late-stage trial got very ill, and so they had to stop the trial and figure out what happened before they restarted the trial. And there's been some recent questions about their efficacy numbers. And people are like, no, the statistics don't quite work out. That vaccine is using a virus to inject RNA into the cell. But that virus is being grown on HEK293, which is one of those fetal cell lineages that comes from the 1970s. Yeah, that makes people very uncomfortable. But because it's not as far along as the others, and because there are other candidates, we might not even have to worry about that. We might just be able to say, forget that, it's not gonna be used. The other two, are competing with one another. One is called Moderna. It's a fairly new company. Yes, they did, ex they did receive millions of dollars from the US government to help develop their vaccine. The other company is called Pfizer, which is a multi-million dollar company. They've been around for a long time. They didn't receive any money from the government to fund the vaccine, but they did receive billions of dollars to help generate infrastructure so that they could produce about a billion doses of vaccine as soon as the vaccine has been approved. Now, interestingly, one of these vaccines has just been approved, I think, in Singapore. The other one has been approved in the UK. So here in America, at least, we can now look and see how these things are happening in other countries, and they can be our guinea pigs. We'll know the short-term effects, at least very quickly, of these vaccines. But it's not like these have never been used in people. We've all now had um, third-stage trials from the Moderna and the Astra, not the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. And they, if I pull them together, it's, it's over 50,000 people have received the vaccine. And another large group of people have received a placebo. So yes, this is a placebo-controlled vaccination experiment. And it's working very well. Now, the early reports are that it does have a bit of a kick. It's not quite as easy as a, you know, your annual flu vaccine, which most people never notice. It does tend to produce a light fever, redness, swelling in the arm, but that's not because the, the, the virus is present. There's no virus here. I'll get to that in a second. It's just your immune system saying, hey, I have a problem, and your immune system starts selling the cells there, and it's inflammatory cells, and the temperature in the region starts going up, because that's how the immune system deals with infection. But there's not any infection present. Let me describe to you how these are made, because this is ingenious, and this will explain why over, after only, what, 11 months, we already have a vaccine. In fact, uh, we had a vaccine within a week after the first genomic sequence was released. Boom, vaccine was done. And we've been testing it ever since. Why? Because we already were ready for it. All the parts are already there. All they had to do was say, oh, here's a genetic sequence. They had that in a the computer. They hit print. No joke. They sent it a DNA sequencer that manufactured the DNA. They put that into a, a loop of DNA called a plasmid, something I've used in laboratory, my own work. And they got that into E. coli, which is really easy to do. You electrocute the bacteria and they suck up any DNA in the solution. So you add the DNA to the solution, electrocute the bacteria, they pull in the DNA. 
And then in a cell culture, they raise up a large vat of that bacteria. Then they kill the bacteria, pull out the DNA. Boom, now you've got something you can make a vaccine with. How? By putting it in a test tube, adding some bacterial enzymes, and those bacterial enzymes make copies of the DNA in the form of RNA. And then all you have to do is take the RNA and wrap it up in a lipid or a fat. It's a brilliant strategy because the RNA itself is very fragile. It has to be protected. Also, the RNA, if you just injected that into, the, into a body, it's going to decay almost instantly. Your body's going to react to it. It's going to kill it. It's going to destroy it. Free RNA floating around in your bloodstream is something the immune system is very sensitive to. And it wouldn't actually produce any antibodies to that. It'll just destroy the RNA. But by wrapping it up in a lipid, when it's injected, these teeny little nanometer size, this is not nanotechnology, but nanometer sized lipid droplets, when they touch the cell, they get absorbed. And so it's sort of like a Trojan horse strategy, where as the cell is absorbing the lipid, it pulls in the RNA also. Once it's in the cell, the cell might say, hey, wait a minute, this is a foreign RNA. This is not supposed to be here. And it will actually destroy it, and it'll send a flag on the outside of the cell, say, hey, um, I'm infected, come kill me. All right, now, objections. People are afraid that we're going to be genetically engineered. I, as a scientist, cannot say that this is impossible. But I can say that the probability is so incredibly remote that I am not afraid of this at all. Maybe I'm being a little overzealous, but the data simply isn't there. We've experimented with these things before. We've got decades of looking at this to see if it would happen. And there's no evidence for it. Plus, our bodies manufacture a massive amount of RNA every day, constantly. That RNA does not get sucked back into the nucleus, get translated or uh, reverse transcribed into DNA and then incorporated into the genome. There are some viruses that do do this. HIV is notorious for making copies of itself and getting those copies stuck into the genome. But there are specific genes in place that allow it to do that. This uh, vaccine has one, maybe two genes in it, and they have nothing to do with a reverse engineering an RNA strand and making it DNA and getting into the genome. So why would this happen? Plus, if there really was a strong threat of this, we should see evidence for this happening already because we get infected by viruses all the time. And so this might be just a natural process, but it's not really because we don't have besides a couple of examples that are just the exceptions that prove the rule, we don't have a genome full of coronaviruses already from the normal colds that we catch all the time. The flu is not integrated into the human genome. So the probability is remote. And this brings up an interesting question. And that is, at which point are we able to proceed in science? Because we can never disprove the universal negative. You can never say, this will never happen. That's not something scientists can ever address. We're always limited in science, and yet we always have to proceed. Now, sometimes we say, no, we shouldn't do this. Don't do that, and we stop. But everything else, everything we've ever done, ever, in engineering, in medicine, in science, there's always been a risk, and there's always been a set of unknowns. And yet, after analyzing the risk, we scratch our heads, and we say, you know what? We think it's safe to proceed. And then we do. Now, sometimes we have made mistakes. Yes, these are notorious, but most of the time we don't. And it's not like we don't know anything. I mean, we've learned a lot about the human immune system, vaccinations, viruses over the last several decades. We're not operating in a vacuum of knowledge. 
And we've been vaccinating people for a long time now. And also we get to watch how natural viruses operate in the human cell. And you know what? Viruses don't typically turn into DNA and get stuck into our genome. So the whole genetic engineering aspect, honestly, from my personal opinion, is so remote that I'm simply not worried about it. I could be wrong, sure, but I don't think so. And that makes people uncomfortable because science is uncomfortable. We simply don't know a lot about a lot of really big questions. And this is one of them, but I'm not afraid of it. I love Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, as Christians, we're not called to live in fear. There are some things to be afraid of. I understand that. But we're not called to live in fear. God is in control. Let us proceed with wisdom and knowledge and grace and love. I mean, are we so focused on this world, the only thing we can think about is coronaviruses and vaccines and one world governments and things like that? Or are we actively sharing the love of Jesus Christ with other people? That is a valid question, friends. Okay, let's talk pros and cons. Big pro, I've already mentioned it, one, no fetal cells are required to manufacture these vaccines. Now, at least one of them was tested on the fetal cells. Ugh. That makes a lot of people angry, but it was also tested on Vero monkey, or the African green monkey cells, which is the Vero cell line, and it was tested on mice and things like that. So they needed to know how it was going to work, and so they used something that was already present. But at least we've taken a giant step away, and we don't have to use them in the production of the vaccine itself. Another big uh, pro is the fact that we can make these efficiently and quickly. And because the RNA is very fragile, it has to be frozen at a very cold temperature, which means you don't need preservatives. And because it's going straight into the cell and the cells actually manufacturing the protein, you don't need adjuvants. So no more mercury, no more aluminum. Those things are not a factor in this particular question. So talking about the cons, first of all, there are some unknowns. We don't know if we inject a billion people, if it's how many people are gonna react very severely to this. We expect less than one in a million. That's what the statistics are telling us. We also don't know the long-term effects, but it's not like we haven't been experimenting with these things before. We know how the human body behaves. We know how viruses behave. We know how the immune system behaves. Nobody expects that, you know, 50 years from now, everyone's going to drop dead because they got a coronavirus vaccine in the year 2020 or 2021. We also don't know um, if it degrades or not. The vaccine, because made of RNA, is really heat sensitive and it can break down really quickly. And a doctor or a nurse administering it, they might not actually know if there's a real vaccine there or if it's broken down. And it's a problem for some of the more remote places in the world. One of the vaccines has to be kept at like negative 80 degrees Celsius. That's cold. The other one can survive just fine in a regular freezer and after being thawed out, it can remain in a, in a refrigerator for up to 30 days. That's really cool. That means that there's a, a much greater chance that we can get this around the world safely and effectively. A lot of people are concerned with Operation Warp Speed. And granted, when governments are involved, we always have to be skeptical. We always have to be watchdogs. We always have to watch what is happening. However, now I'm not gonna give you a lecture on free market economics. I'm not gonna get up on that little soapbox. But I don't see what's wrong with getting the government out of the way and letting science proceed. Cutting red tape, making things more efficient is always a good thing 
as long as we're paying attention to the human element. And we are paying attention to the human element. And so far, everything looks okay, at least for the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccines. Now, these are going to be available very soon. And we have to make an intelligent decision on whether or not we're going to participate. But my approach to science is I want to take all the facts. I want to lay them out on the table. And I want to go through each fact one at a time and say, okay, who told me this? How trustworthy is a source? Is this real? Um, and how, you know, what, what's the questions I have about this fact? Is this something I can actually take and say, this is a fact and it's true or something I had to say, I'm not sure. And I do that with all the facts and I take the strongest ones and put them up front and the weakest ones I put them up second. I said, okay, is this enough for me to make a decision? That's how I approach this. And so as I did this, and honestly, I had my own questions. I had tons of questions. I had, I'm reading all the same stuff you're reading. I'm hearing all the same stuff you're hearing. And I had to take each one of those objections and work through them one at a time. There's a couple strong objections, but even those are such that I can say, yeah, but you don't know what you're talking about either. It's one of those, no one knows, and is it gonna kill us? I don't think so. And most people in the world don't think so but some specific internet commentators do think so. And I'm definitely not getting into eschatology. No way. I am not talking about end times, a coming, a return of Christ, uh, the, the mark of the beast or anything like that. Just that is not for this show. There are a lot of other issues that people tend to throw into one big ball of wax and it makes us very complicated and very hard to wade through. So they might talk about Bill Gates and his statements about wanting to reduce world population size. They might talk about aerogels or, or vaccine tattoos or electronic tags that can be administered with vaccines. None of those things apply here. None of them. Those are other issues for other days. You can look at my article and see how I answer them. I really don't want to deal with it here. I'm also not going to deal with the claims that there's too many tests that are actually false positives. You can look at my earlier uh, video on how the coronavirus test works. There'll be a link in the show notes about that too. It's simply not true. It's not like there's 90% or 95% of these tests are false. That's not right. There are a lot of other issues I'm not going to get into also. Questions about um, have they ever isolated the virus? Yes, they have. Questions about have they ever sequenced the DNA? Yes, they absolutely have. Questions about are viruses real? Uh, I'm sorry, if you don't think viruses are real, you really need to take a remedial course in biology. Absolutely, viruses are real and they really do make people sick and they really do fulfill Koch's postulates. I'm also not going to get into hydroxychloroquine plus zinc issue. Yes, they, it might help. It might, but the data are equivocal. If you have someone saying that they're able to cure 100% of the patients, no way. That is not how science works. That is not anything even remotely true in any sort of a medical field. It might help. Let the scientists and the, the doctors figure it out. And if one doctor saying this is the magic cure-all, another doctor saying it doesn't do anything at all, well, what are we supposed to do? I'm not a doctor, and most of you aren't either. And we cannot afford to just cherry pick our facts here to support some preconceived narrative. We've got to be really careful here with what facts we're accepting. Now, I'm not expecting you to accept my facts. I want you to question what I'm telling you. But I want you to do so not just in some gut reaction, oh, Carter's wrong, he's an idiot. No, I actually want you to look at the things that I've produced, uh, my long, long article and other things to help 
lay out the data so we can actually make a good decision here. There are also questions about you know, vitamin D, vitamin C, nutrition, exercise, things like that. Yeah, these are important considerations. People that are well-nourished and people that get good amounts of exercise are generally healthier than others. But vitamin C, vitamin D, these are not cure-alls. That is not true. It might help reduce symptoms. It might help prevent it, maybe. It might slow down the progression, great but it's not going to prevent you from actually catching a virus. It might help you deal with it better. So, you know, I've got vitamin C on my shelf. I've got vitamin D on my shelf. I've been taking it. Yep, I sure have, but I'm not expecting it to prevent a deadly virus from affecting me. Oh, and by the way, yes, it is deadly. Absolutely deadly. Be careful again with statistics. People saying, oh, it's only 0.2% of the people die. No, it's much more than that but it all depends on how you add it up. And so you have to be careful with how one is adding things. And if someone wants to claim that a lot of these tests are false positives, that means that the death rate is much higher. If let's say 50% of the tests are false, that means the number of cases divided by a much smaller number gives you a much higher death rate. So you can't have it both ways. If the tests are bad, then the virus is that much worse. I think the tests are very accurate. I would be willing to say that there are some false positives in there because of course there are, this is science, but it's not even close to 1%. And my final statement for this is very simple. God made our immune systems. This is true. God is in control of the world. This is true. God is in control of me. This is also true. But the immune system that God made was designed for Adam and Eve in paradise, in an Edenic state. We are far, far from that Edenic state. We are decrepit remnants of humanity. We've had thousands of years of mutations to accumulate in our genomes. And we don't have the food that Adam and Eve had. And we don't have the environment Adam and Eve had. In fact, we have deadly viruses now that would not have been around in Adam and Eve's time. So what do we do about this? We get good exercise. We nourish ourselves. We consult our doctors. We pray. But in the end, if there's something that is going to prevent me from dying tomorrow and I can live for decades more serving God, why would I not do that? That's an honest question. There's some people like, well, my risk category is really low, so why would I get the vaccine? Well, maybe you want to get a vaccine so that you don't pass it to someone in a high risk category. That seems very noble, doesn't it? I'm going to get the vaccine when it comes out. I sure am because I don't want to give it to my parents. My elderly parents, they wouldn't be able to survive something like this. They're in the highest risk category possible. And you know what? I was sure would be able to like to see my mom and give her a big hug. But if I get the coronavirus, this is a matter of operational science. We can put two and two together. We can work through these issues and we can figure out whether or not vaccines are effective and safe. And you know what? In general, they sure seem to be. Luke 12, 25 through 6. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? I know that was long, and I also probably didn't answer half the questions. In fact, I might have raised more questions than I answered. You can find more on my article on creation.com. You just type in, I don't know, RNA vaccines, and the search engine will pop right up. This show has been made possible by the generous support of the fans of Biblical Genetics. There's a link below if you'd like to contribute. I feel like I haven't done this justice. I just sat here on this log for an hour talking to this camera. It's going to be edited down to much less than an hour. But there's so many questions that remain. There's so much angst and there's so much fear. 
I really feel for you. I really feel, I mean, it, it's killing me that there's so many people that are so worried about so many things and there's so much confusion about this giant topic called the coronavirus. And I understand the depression, I understand the angst, I understand the annoyance, I understand that, you know, I don't necessarily trust everyone in government or in science who are trying to tell me to do this and do that. And yet on the other hand, there is this thing called science and we do know a few things about how viruses propagate and we do know how deadly this thing is. So it's not like it's a nothing, it's a something. How bad that something is, is something we have to figure out. But I'm trying to say that this is a real live threat not to kill off half the world. No, no, no. The early reports coming from China were overblown, but it's still much worse than the flu. And it is extremely dangerous to vulnerable people in upper age categories. I've heard people say, yeah, well, those people will die anyway. That's not true. A lot of the people who have perished from this disease would have lived for years, even decades longer. But because they had a pre-existing condition, the coronavirus pushed them over the edge. Or maybe they're very elderly and they just couldn't withstand the, the heart strain, the liver strain, the kidney strain, the lung strain. We're supposed to be merciful to the vulnerable. That's basic Christianity. That's one of the reasons why I'm talking about this in public, because I don't want people to get hurt. But this has been a, a very difficult show for me to produce because there, I still got lots of questions and I'm trying to not make people totally mad with me. And yet I'm also trying to be firm about things that can be known. There's a lot more questions. Come and find me on Facebook. Come join our Biblical Genetics Facebook group. Find me on MeWe. Find me on Parlor. You can find me on Twitter, even though I don't do much Twitter. You can uh, write an email to creation.com. You can find the article on creation.com and, and add a comment to it. There's already, I don't know, 50 or more comments that have already been made, but you can do that too. I'm here if you have questions. I want to help. But I don't just want to help, you know, do coronavirus things. I want to help people understand science so that we can better understand God. I am a Christian and I'm a scientist. And these two things don't always go comfortably together. But there are ways to weld these things that don't cause giant conflict. And this is what I'm trying to help people with. In the meantime, you have a blessed day. Walk in wisdom, walk with facts, and walk with faith.